victory taste <laughs> it tastes terrible <laughs> <laughs> i hate the flavor i'm sick of the flavor quite frankly it's gross yeah i'm tired of being sold moral victories um as <laughs> but well you were, you were ready for a moral victory though you were desperate for one really i know you know to me i feel like this is like one of the maybe the second time this year where where we had in, led into the game suggesting that a moral victory would be fine and and then delivered on it and then it's horrible and i hate it and uh <laughs> it's a very 2020 moral victory right right you know i i think you know this one should be the most like you know i'll, I'll say this this one like th there's a, there's one half of the game that is that is a moral victory and then there's one half that's not right so i think yeah. the two biggest things of this season are Joe Judge and Daniel Jones, right? They are they're the most important your coach and quarterback are the most important things of any football team. Um we have a young quarterback, we have a brand new head coach. So the whole season is evaluating those two. And I and you leave this game I feel pretty good about Joe Judge. I think for the first not first time, but I think more solidly. I have real genuine confidence now that Joe Judge knows what he's doing, has the has this on a on a decent track. I have a, a real trust in, in him as the coach going as the go forward coach, but it comes at the expense of Daniel Jones and who I just thought was, you know, played a terrible game. Um, and it was a super disappointing game from that perspective. And, you know, to have only one of those things, ultimately, where are you, you know? Well, right. It's also, first of all, very hard to believe that it's possible for us to have a moral victory with Jones playing poorly. Like, it was really, it's, I guess we should marvel at the impressiveness that they pulled that off. Right. Right. You know, I, what really was horrible is, um, and I, I'm, you know, I don't know, we'll see if the listeners can pick up on this. I feel sad today. I'm like borderline, I woke up borderline despondent today just because I want to believe in Daniel Jones. And I'm not ready to just totally throw him in the trash. But I'm going to say this. That game had everything set up for Daniel Jones to emerge. The defense played great. I thought the Giants, you know, we've talked a lot about Patrick Graham. I think now we can all pencil him in as like a real find and be very excited about him. But that was the first game. I think Jason Garrett actually had a good plan last night. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously going deep was part of it and, and felt that they could take advantage of whatever matchups they had there. And, and they were they were there all night long. And they were plays that Daniel Jones is capable of making and can make, and he just didn't repeatedly. And, you know, so to leave that game, you know, it was there for him to have this big night where we really, we could have all left feeling great about the direction the Giants are going in. You know, we found some really young talent. The, the new, the guys they signed, Martinez, uh, Bradbury, to be the stalwarts, look like they really can be. Um, I think Judge is, you know, growing into the job and, it was there for Daniel Jones to emerge himself and to have him not do it in, you know, the, and, you know, look, he cost us the game. Like there's just no way around it. Yeah. So it's such a bummer. And I think now, you know, we've talked about whether the giants want to, you know, what they need to do at the top of the draft, like, uh, you know, field to me had already moved into that conversation, but now like the giants, when they go to uh, deal with the draft, you know, I'm not saying they have to take a quarterback, but part of their plan has to be evaluating all the quarterbacks. And that yeah. includes guys like Mac Jones from Alabama. Like they, they, I'm not saying Daniel Jones cannot be a franchise quarterback or, or can't be the go forward quarterback, but the giants cannot be under the assumption. They cannot operate under the assumption that their franchise quarterback is on the roster. How much would your feelings today be different or would your calculation change had he completed that uh, two-point conversion to Deion Lewis? Maybe a lot, which is silly because it's one play. Right. Um, but it was indicative of the other misplays. And yeah. I will say that that last drive did help. It, did, it lifted my spirits. Like, he made a couple big-time plays on it, you know, finished finished with the touchdown to Golden Tate. That was a beautiful throw. Um, 
But those two interceptions just loom large. You know, we've talked about like he hasn't made those kind of mistakes. Like most of them were where he's made interceptions has been, you know, or fumbles. He didn't see a guy coming from behind or he was trying to throw it away and he didn't get enough on it because the defense kind of got on him quicker than he thought. Like he's sort of made a lot of those mistakes. Those two interceptions were both just terrible. You know, I mean, just no, no idea what he's looking at, what he's trying to do, you know, (laughs) and one, he had Slayton wide open and then forced it into an interception, you know, so that's kind of a double whammy where that play should have been a touchdown. And instead it's an interception that, ultimately cost you the game there were a couple Uh, times where he had Slayton open deep that he just didn't he didn't see him or he wasn't looking that way or he didn't throw the ball or whatever it was and I think some of it too is a similar problem which you know and I guess that's what made the two-point conversion so brutal too because you know pass interference or not and I do want to talk about the officiating because I do think the officiating was actually pretty terrible but but you know that aside uh the throw to to Deion Lewis was late and uh yeah you know the only i've looked at that play a few times the only and this is a total excuse but the only thing i will say for jones it does look like um shaq barrett was in his way and he was kind of he he does a little shimmy like a pump fake sort of thing where you could tell he was gonna throw and he didn't feel like he could get it and it's really not an excuse because the ball it's there he's got to figure out how to get that ball there um the play was open but that was the, that's the only thing i can say to his in his defense was it looked like he felt that guy was in his way. Right. Right. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he made a little shoulder move to try and get him out of the way so that he can. And then the throw, even still the throw late, it's still also inside, you know, so he, he could right. have thrown that late and completed it. It wasn't an accurate pass. Right. Um, right. In addition to being late. Did you hear uh, what Bruce Arians was saying after the game about the interceptions? No. Well, I kind of saw that he said, you know, basically kind of a young guy trying to do too much type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the two interceptions were the, the difference in the game. But, you know, it is right. He was slow to pull the trigger. Like he missed a couple of scoring opportunities just because he's slow to pull the trigger. And I did. I kind of made a note while I was watching the game about uh, I don't know if it was the last. I don't remember whether it was the last drive or what, but he had a throw to Slayton on a fourth down. It had to have been on the last drive, I guess. It was a fourth down and he had this throw to Slayton. And he converts it, and it looks like an impressive play. But, you know, he actually had a pretty decent pocket around him. But you could tell just by his movement in the pocket that he was not comfortable, even though he did have a pretty clean throwing area. And, you know, you got to wonder, too, like this season, has that really – is he just worn out at this point? Is he just feeling ghosts that aren't there, kind of like Sam Darnold, I guess. But I know the play you're talking about. I mean, it was a big fourth down pickup, but he maneuvered into trouble. He actually wasn't in trouble, and and his his pocket movement actually found trouble. Um, And then he threw kind of a heave that Slayton made a great play on. Um, You know, I'll give him – I'll still give him credit. He made something something happen there. Um, He didn't ultimately get sacked. Yeah, and I don't even um, really mean it as a criticism, like a criticism of him. Yeah, it's just no, more I hear of a you. concern. Like, yeah. is that going to become, like, habitual for him? You know, I mean, it's just, you know, we've been criticizing Jason Garrett a lot, and what's tough on this game is, like, you just can't criticize him. They ran the ball pretty effectively. You know, Wayne Gallman, I think, is, is now a pro- emerged as kind of the go-forward guy, I think, here, um, at least until, you know, Saquon's back next year. Um he was getting the ball out quick, which is what they've been needing to do. You know, some interesting screen plays, things like that. And then set up the deep balls that were there all night. And he just couldn't hit them. And he's a good deep ball thrower. Um, so that, you know, you can look at that multiple ways of saying, hey, maybe he's just off. It's not, it's not like he hasn't shown that ability. Well, something you texted me during the game that I thought was really interesting, and it's very revealing uh, as, you know, your family was longtime Giants season ticket holders, and you've probably – uh, been to more Giants games than uh, most people have been to like certain things in their <laughs> lives. But, uh, you know, you texted me during the game that it's clearly very windy there. And uh, it's weird that the announcers aren't talking about it. Do you think that was affecting his deep ball or at least his approach to it? I definitely do. I mean, there was even one you could really tell the ball sailed. And when you, you know, when you looked at the kicking game, like the, the kicks were blowing all over the place. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's not like Brady was had a a scintillating game either but the difference is he didn't make the two glaring mistakes and had Daniel Jones played the same game Brady played we would have we would have won that game yeah um so I do think it's a factor I think you know um it's something to to 
you know, again, that's why I'm saying I'm not here to bury Daniel Jones, but I just it was such a disappointing performance in a game where the Giants could have taken such a big step in their, you know, the development of the team, the franchise. So for him to play like that, um, I, I, I was joking. I, one of my notes was that performance to me last night was like I felt like the Ducks leaving for Tony Soprano. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a panic attack, <laughs> but I, it was the same despondency. It was like watching those ducks for him fl- fly away. <laughs> I was like, oh, I just it felt something was lost, you know, last night in my own belief in this guy. Um, and, and, you know, it's, I just felt this morning was I was just like, uh, it's just so now, you know, it's Election Day. Here we are. <laughs> Just right. the feeling of overwhelming dread. Nothing to lift just, your spirits like election day. Everywhere. Um, impending doom is everywhere. So what do you think for those out there that would say, you know, look, Eli struggled in a similar manner early in his career and, and look at him, like, you know, look how that ended up. Yeah. You know, look, we've all, and you, you said it perfectly when you said Daniel Jones is like an Eli Manning Halloween costume, you know, like, and I think, you know, we can all it's it's totally fair to say. And look, Eli took a good four years before he really developed. It was his fourth year when they won the Super Bowl. And even that year, he wasn't actually that good. And but I just think, you know, we can't fall into this Eli Manning trap of saying, hey, you know, Eli made these mistakes, too. Like, yeah, of course he did. He And he does remind me of Eli in that way. Um, and Eli did that throughout his career. He was a 18-year vet, and he would sometimes throw it up for grabs in a way that just seemed like impossible to believe. Um, but you know, I, I don't know that there's a career in the history of sports that's maybe less replicable than Eli Manning's career. You know, like yeah, um, the 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 highs and the lows. You know, uh, this guy, David Roth, who writes for the, the defector site, the kind of the new dead spin, who's a great writer. And he put it great when he was writing about Eli, when he retired that like, he's the only athlete I can recall who the questions is Eli Manning good. And are, is Eli Manning a hall of famer, both totally <laughs> legitimate and fair questions. You know? They are. <laughs> and the answer is emphatically yes, I think to both, yeah. but it's like, it's not unreasonable to ask both of those questions. <laughs> like, is he even any good at all? And is he a Hall of Fame, you know, one of the all-time greats? And it's like, oddly, yes, both. Um, but, you know, that's not going to happen again. Like, there's just, that's not, you know, he's a very, he's the, one of the most rare athletes as far as, like, how his career actually played out that I can ever recall, you know? So to say, like, Oh, well, Eli, you know, just throw Eli out of there. This guy's his own guy. It's a totally different thing. Um, right. I mean, they're right. There's just magic. Like some people can be the same as somebody on paper or they can look just like somebody or, you know, actually, uh, I'm a huge fan of, as you know, of the Superman movies. Uh, and um, I feel like when they did before the current reboot where Henry what's this that guy's name Henry Clavel is my saying it right well anyway he, he's like the current superman but right before him for superman returns was this guy Brandon Roth and the way that they made that superman movie was like really an homage to the original like set and they really just chose that guy Brandon Roth because i mean he looked just like Christopher Reeve like he <laughs> really so did true. but it's yeah. also just like he might look just like Christopher Reeve, but Christopher Reeve was Christopher Reeve. Like, right. he had something. He had something. We don't even know what it is. I don't know that he was a great actor, but he was perfect for that role. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't just cast somebody who looks just like him. And it's the same thing with, like, Eli had a magic, an inexplicable yeah. magic to him that you just, you can't get a guy who's like, oh, he'll be like Eli. And in a lot of ways, all these guys are a little bit like that. Like, I saw somebody tweeted something like, in Brady's second full year as a starter, he had a four-game stretch where the Pats lost all four games and Brady threw seven interceptions. So, I mean, that's like a footnote to his career, but then you can't have a second-year quarterback throw seven interceptions over four games and be like, he's just like Brady. Yeah, right. Brady did that. It's like, yeah, okay, but Brady also won the Super Bowl his first year as a starter. <laughs> right. Um, and... You know, look, I mean, Daniel Jones, I mean, the turnover thing, it's gotten ridiculous. I mean, you're talking about he's turned it over in 12 straight games. I mean, I think it's 20 of 21 starts now he's had a turnover. 
Um, and, you know, I think that was what was so deflating about last night was they those were not the kinds of things that I've been forgiving from him. Those were just bad. Yeah. Um, and in a, on Monday Night Football, which, you know, whether that means anything at this point anymore, but, it you know, it's still your primetime game. It's a big opponent. Big, I just thought it was a huge opportunity for the franchise and to, to, and everything to go right. And Jason Garrett, for God's sakes, to call a great game and for him to just not come through was really disappointing. Let's talk about Jason Garrett for a second, because I look, I don't necessarily want to be can't admit he's wrong guy or can't give credit where credit is due guy. But I also I'm not going to sit here and defend Jason Garrett right, right. when we're one in seven. So we're eight games into the season now. He's been calling plays for eight games. He's been the offensive coordinator. Like, how are we just now? We uh, Since the very – since training camp. It wasn't even like, oh, an injury happened in week one. Like, since training camp, we've had a rookie left tackle in place. Yeah. How has the plan not been all along get the ball out of Jones's hands quickly? Yeah. No, for, you're right. And, and and then take shots when you've got them. Like Yeah. Right. And, and like, more of a power running game, like – you know, I think Wayne Gallman, you know, the way they used him, I thought they used him really effectively. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, they did some self-scouting and it worked, but it's like, how did it take, you know... <laughs> eight weeks? Take eight games <laughs> to do any of this self-evaluation. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think you're right. And I'm not here, you know, throwing bouquets at Jason Garrett. I just, I, I don't think you can blame him for, for that performance in, in a way where I think other games where I don't think Daniel Jones has played particularly well, you know, I was willing to, to say, hey, I don't, you know, I don't think the offense is doing him any favors. I right. don't think that's the case last night. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was promising to see, uh, to see him, you know, to see play calls where he's getting rid of the ball and be able to run the ball effectively against a really legit defense. Yeah. And look, I thought the offensive line played okay. You know, I mean, I, yes. I didn't notice Andrew Thomas and that's always a plus. Right. Um, so that was a good sign. Um, you know, I mean, it just would have been so nice to beat those guys and to beat Tom Brady. Oh. And, you know, we talked to, you said it perfectly when you were like, I just want to see Tom Brady yelling at people on the sideline. And, you know, first quarter, he's slamming his helmet. He's I slamming. Him, he's like, we did it. You know, it was like, hey, we, we did it. Yeah. Um, it happened. So let's talk about the defense then. Sure. Uh well, first, actually, this is something I, I wanted to I wanted to ask. Like, I'm, is it just me, or do you feel like our defense is always on the field? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we're not we're not sustaining drives, um, even though that seems to be our plan. Um, like Ben, but don't break. You mean is the plan, or? Well, I think on like on offense, I think our oh, plan I see. is to possess the ball, but we don't. I don't think we do it particularly effectively. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Though I, I mean, I, I can't quibble with anything the defense did last night. I mean, I thought. No, actually, and I, it's I don't bring it up to quibble, but you know, I, I've actually I've been thinking about this because I do like in my head when I watch the games, my general sense is is that our defense is sort of working off of this bend but don't break philosophy, and um, I do think that it kind of hurts us in close games because I think that the defense is out there for long stretches of time. And then when we're in a tight fourth quarter situation, they're gassed and they always seem to give up the game winning score in the fourth yeah. quarter when we're in that position. Sure. I think it's because they're tired, but then I decided to like kind of look into this theory because it's really just off of a feeling. And I was shocked. Like time of possession last night was separated by 20 seconds. Yeah. Tampa had the ball for 30 minutes, 10 seconds. We had the ball for 29 minutes, 50 seconds. That shocked me. You know, yeah. because it just feels like we're out there forever. And then I looked at, like, th some of the numbers were so close. Like, last night, Tampa Bay had 23 first downs. We had 24 first downs. They were 4 of 12 on third down. We were 4 of 11 on third down. Tampa punted three times. We punted four times. So, it just, that like, that somehow isn't adding up. It, I feel like my eyes aren't matching what the numbers are. And I guess that's why we have the numbers. But... Um, it just feels like they're out there for forever. But if the numbers aren't backing it up, I guess that can't be right. But I'm not like crazy to think that, am I? No, I mean, I didn't feel it that way. I, I'm not so shocked by it last night. I, I you know, if we went back to other games, I would expect to see that more. Because um, I do think, you know, we've had definitely trouble on third. And you're absolutely right. Like end of halves, end of games has been when we've really struggled. Um, and I do know there's stats to back that up where we're giving up a lot of points, you know, right before the half or late in the fourth quarter. 
So I definitely think that's a factor. I also do think that, um, you know, uh, talent kind of tends to to matter more in those those moments. And I think that's what we we, you know, scheme can only do so much. And then in those critical points, a lot of times it does come down to just like who's better at that point. So I think that's probably hurting us a little bit. Um, but I think you're, I mean, I think your sense is right. I'm not totally shocked last night that, cause I, I felt like we, you know, we should have won that game. We should have no, won that game. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, I, you know, obviously you're right that we're not playing with a ton of talent and we had Isaac Yadam played every single snap, uh, at corner opposite of Bradbury last night. Um, and he was our, you know, we traded, obviously we traded a seventh round pick from, for Denver earlier in the year, but he got benched in, in favor of, uh, Ryan Lewis, who was hurt. So then Yadam's back in, but him and Bradbury really held their own. And I really think that, again, I just think it's really good coaching. Like you see some of the plays like that play where Bradbury got beat and then he chased the guy down and he got, I mean, he got his hand in the perfect spot to knock that ball away. Like just, I think that they look really well coached. And you know, the thing about, um, the thing about, uh, defenses, you know, of course, I mean, it, it, it's not rocket science to know that offense is obviously very choreographed guys know exactly where they're going to go, when to expect the ball, where to expect the ball, you know, kind of depending on your quarterback defense can't really be choreographed the same way because you're reacting to the offense. So it usually does take around until week eight before some defenses really start to gel. And I would say that's probably especially true when you have a new coordinator and a new scheme and all that. But uh, the fact that our defense has played well most of the year and that they were able to play like they did last night against that offense, I think is just really promising. And I think that that's really like, if you were going to wake up and try and shake yourself out of the depression of the Daniel Jones situation, it's that at least we have like probably a really promising head coach and an excellent defensive coordinator to go along with him. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, I'm trying to kind of like it, I, I don't, well, I don't know, you know, it's like, um, I think you can still definitely take that vantage point, right? Like, um, the defense even has some talent. Like, you know, I mean, I think that defensive line, um, is promising that that's two guys in the middle, you know, Leonard Williams, all of a sudden we made a million jokes about him. Like, I, you know, now I don't know that we can afford to lose him. Um, right. quite frankly, you know, I mean, I think that's a, that's a reality. Um, so the, I mean, the Giants are probably going to be re-signing or extending Leonard Williams this offseason, right? I mean, and he and Dexter Lawrence are a pretty imposing pair in the middle and cause a lot of havoc. Yeah, they really um, couldn't run the ball on us last night. No, and I, I think that the two those two guys are definitely the, the building blocks of our defense. And then you have Martinez, who I think is fantastic. And Bradbury, you have, okay, there's a player now at each level yeah. um, that I like. And, and uh you know, then you you combine that with with seemingly a good coach. Um, you know, you know, defense can be a little bit um, not predictive. You know, you can have your defense can fluctuate year to year. So yeah. whether we can assume that this improving defense will be in fact good next year, but I think there's reason to believe that this is a an ascending unit. Um, well, I, I also think that sometimes, and I do think that's a little deceiving because we have seen it in the past. We've even seen it with the Giants, right? When the defense is the unit that carries your team, then it's really hard to sustain that success over a long period of time. Right. But I also think that that is more applicable to teams that do rely kind of more on talent than it does on, like the Patriots, True, you know, yeah. this season aside, Right. The Patriots never had a bunch of marquee players on their defense, but they were consistently good every year and they were a little more scheme based and a little more flexible and they created pass rush in other ways. Whereas you get like the the Jacksonville D that was really good that had them in the AFC championship game against the Pats a couple of years ago or, you know, our defense from that first McAdoo year. You know, those defense are a little more those defenses are a little more, um, you know, talent heavy in terms of why they were successful. And I think that's the thing that's a little bit harder to sustain. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So, uh, you know, I think there is uh, there's some promise there. It's just, what are we doing? <laughs> just, God, why do we take that? Like, oh, right. God. Why isn't he good? Like, why isn't he good? Why isn't he improving? You know, like, I just want to see, um, you know, look, here's the, uh, maybe the last point about Daniel Jones, but 
And the thing I told myself as I poured my coffee this morning to try and lift my spirits, I was looking at the Giants' schedule, the remaining schedule, and we have a lot of big games. You know, our schedule doesn't get any easier the second half. we got eight games left. You know, it's half a season. Um, and we've got some really big opponents. Um, you know, we play the Seahawks. We play – we have the Bengals. We have the Ravens. we got the, yeah, um, so the let's... Browns are a decent team. we got the Cardinals, you know, showdown with Kyler Murray. We're going to play Joe Burrow. Um, there's still a ton of opportunities out there for this guy. Yeah. Well, so, all right. So let's go through our schedule. Next week we're at, I mean, already though, like right off the bat, he has an opportunity to prove himself. We're at Washington next week, which, you know, of course that's our only win of the season and that's an easy game to dismiss. It's another NFC East opponent, but they're fourth in defensive DVOA. Like if anything, their defense is the strongest unit on that team and one of the top in the NFL. Right. So he has a chance right off the bat to go up against a legit unit and maybe show something. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think I still think it's possible. You know, I just think, um, like, my only, you know, at the open, the, the the real point is more just that the Giants can't feel like they they can't assume it. You know, everything that they do that they're setting up their off season has to be under the un, like that we're going to be evaluating quarterbacks, yeah. um, and that includes Daniel Jones. I mean, he's part of that. Like, he gets right. to keep playing these eight games and and i think you're right uh, this is an opportunity and again some of these big t- you know what happened a couple of years ago where you know i think it was maybe it was Shermer's first year where you know the giants finished sort of strong but they played terrible quarterbacks they had a really soft schedule and, and they went five and three or something down the stretch eli played okay and they convinced themselves that they could give it one more shot they, they, that's not going to happen this year. You know, like if they look strong the second half, it's because they're playing really well. So he's still, it's still all in front of him. Yeah. Um. And, and I, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not possible. I still, you know, he still does things that make you go, boy, guy's talented, you know? Yeah. Um, But it's got to happen that they can't, they, they can't, should not feel confident um, or sold. They should not have made a determination either way at this point. No, that's for sure. Uh, I'm also, you know, I guess it's kind of good for us that, uh, Baltimore has kind of hit a little bit of a slide because I've kind of thought at the beginning of the year that maybe Baltimore would be resting guys by the time they got to us. It's the second last game of the season, but it doesn't look like they're going to have that luxury. So certainly not. Yeah. They're definitely gonna have to play the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we'll get, you know, right. We do get a chance to see what he's made of. It's hard to, but you know, it's not all about last night because it is a culmination where, you know, you kind of ride that border for so long, and then it's, you know, you get to a game like last night. Like, it's, and, and he, look, he had the ball in his hands for the final drive of the game. Ah, that pass to Tate was beautiful. It was a beauty. It's it beautiful. It was a beautiful ball. I know. But, I mean, that's, I mean, again, what's so frustrating about that game is it was there. The, 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 the evening was tailor made, the defense did what it had to do. The play calls were there. The plays were there to be made. Like that was should have been Daniel yeah. Jones coming out party. Um, we leave and everybody's feeling good about him and the team and and we're ascending. And now, boy, we beat the hated Bucks and we beat Tom Brady on national television. It was all there. And instead, I went to sleep in the same foul mood I've been in for <laughs> ten years or whatever the hell it's been. And you know, feeling like he stinks. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you just, watched the game with Nate last night, by the way. I did. I watched the first half with my five-year-old boy, who was first time he was into it. He watched the whole first half. He was so excited. Um, it was adorable. It was so funny with the when the Tampa the Buccaneers went up three nothing, and he was like, I, "You know, I think the Buccaneers are going to win. You know why? Because they have three points and we have zero points." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, you know." Then the Giants score. He's like, "I think the Giants are going to win now because they." You know why? I'm like, "Why?" They have se- we have seven points and they only have three points. I'm like, well, it's like it's it's a roller coaster, Nate. <laughs> a lot can happen. More than you know, buddy. He said to me, "Tell me who wins," because he had to go to bed. Obviously, tell me who wins when I wake up. So he he woke me up. He came an inch from my face at around seven this morning. Did we win? And I and Daniel Jones made me look my five year old son in the eye and tell him, "No, no, we didn't. We lost." We are losers, my, uh, my son, my beautiful boy. <laughs> you did this, Daniel Jones. <laughs> right. You made me do that. 
to my beautiful boy. <laughs> oh, my God. But it was exciting. At least he was into it. That was the other thing. You know, I, I did have this feeling, get, watch, sitting there with my son the first half, and he must have asked me 10,000 questions. It was the most annoying game experience I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but I had it was the first game he's ever been interested in. The Giants are playing well. You know, like, it felt I was, like, on the birth of something. We were This was going to be a rebirth of my relationship with the New York Giants, and Daniel Jones was going to deliver, and he just let me down. That's why I say the Ducks flew, the ducks flew home. They flew <laughs> south. <laughs> Abandoned me. Did you? Do you like the color rush uniforms? Did you I like love the, them. I love them. Oh, my God, yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. It's so annoying that there's, like, I don't know. Why can't we wear those all the time? You can't, but why not? Well, we should at least do the blue numbering on our road jerseys. Yeah. That should have happened years ago. Yeah. It, uh, red is terrible. They're right. gorgeous. I mean, it's the best uniform we have. They're great. It's also, we're not red. Like, you could put red in there complimentary, but we're not red. Right. Red is for trim. It's big blue, for God's sake. Yeah. Get out of here. I know. It drives me crazy, actually. All right. Let me do a quick ad read here. You're listening to Giants Among Men on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Your support keeps us going. All right. We got anything else on the Giants right now, Bri? I don't think so. I think we probably we probably covered it. Yeah. Uh, Looking ahead to Washington. I mean. It's just going to be a repeat of... Um, the last game, probably. <laughs> Who's playing quarterback for them? I probably should know this before we were, but who is even playing quarterback for right. them now? I, mean, I think it's going to still be Kyle Allen, right? Unless he got hurt or something, but I, not that I, not that I've heard. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, it's in a weird game where, like, again with them, I, I still don't understand what. You know, um, I guess we could talk about the division. You know, um, the Eagles and Cowboys. I mean, I thought the Eagles were going to run away with it. Now I'm less sure. They they both looked horrendous. Oh God! The worst game I've seen Carson Wentz play ever. And I'm bull. I was bullish. I figured Carson Wentz was going to find his footing here and figure things out. He was awful. <laughs> that game was horrible. Yeah. Um, so I guess Washington probably they beat the Cowboys. Maybe they still have some dreams of of getting into this NFC East race that's probably important to them. I guess from the Giants' perspective, you know, if we want to keep this this feeling of progress, you know, us looking good defensively is important. I don't know, but, you know, look, I'll be interested to see how Daniel Jones plays. Yeah. Um, you know, this is that that was the the you know, the the he's hit a valley, you know, that was the the low point of his career, I think was last night. Um, that was the first game where I was like, Daniel Jones lost us that game. You know, the, the yeah. team, we haven't been in that position where one person could do that that often. And I thought that's what happened last night. So we'll see how he responds. And I guess that'll be interesting. Yeah. Speaking of, by the way, that, that Eagles-Dallas game the other night. Like, I mean, this isn't necessarily an original thought here. I've heard uh, I've heard a bunch of people bounce it around a little bit. But do you think that... This almost sounds like a dumb question, but do you think that the athletes who got COVID are still suffering from it, even if they're, you know, better and, and sort of back on the field? Some probably, right? I don't know. Well, it's I, a very complicated infectious disease. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I bring it up because, you know, uh, Cam has not looked great since since he, but also Zeke watching that. I know yeah. the, the Cowboys offensive line is banged up and that can't be helping, but I was just watching that game on Sunday night, and I don't think Zeke runs with the same kind of thump that he used to. Yeah, he looks small to me this year. Is that am I crazy? Does he look a little? Is it just because he's not flashing me the midriff, and now I? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to tell. <laughs> Doesn't look himself. I mean, I agree with you. Um, also, that Ben DiNucci, my God. I mean, yeah. <laughs> for guys with Italian last names, uh, Benny DiNucci out there. <laughs> I'm ready to root for him, but that was. <laughs> I was uh, I was thinking like poor Colin Kaepernick of all the games that have probably steamed him over the last few years that one had to that had to be a gut punch. Like, <laughs> oh God, I know. How is this guy out there playing for the Dallas Cowboys? Like, Where is he from? Where'd that guy go to college? So he originally went to Pitt and then he transferred to James Madison. Okay. He couldn't make it at Pitt and he went to James Madison and right. starred there. And then I mean Jesus. That was the best you could do? How did Ben DiNucci get on the field? <laughs> Who won the job at Pitt? Like, 
Right, right. Oh, you know, it was it was uh, the Peter Man, Nathan Peterman. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's not looking good. The NFC East right now, not uh, not uh, showing ourselves in a positive light. Yeah, not a competitive bastion. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I don't know. I'm still not convinced that there's any team in the NFC. So you kind of landed on the Eagles as like the default. But I don't know that there's anyone in the NFC East that could not benefit more from a high draft pick than from a playoff appearance. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, the Giants, Other, I mean, I guess Saquon. But with Saquon out, like, do we have any explosive players? Slayton, right. I guess, but I think you. I saw you put it in the, in our notes, but I I think it's a great assessment of Slayton. He's a Monty Tumor two Like that is perfect. That is yeah. Spot he'll on. be a great. He's our number two receiver. I'm going to fall in love with him. He's good. He's right. very good, but he's not a top receiver. Yeah. Right. Right. And then like you look at at Philly and uh and and Washington. Like who are the explosive guys offensively? You know, Dallas does have some, but. I guess, you know, you look at the NFL, though, it's not the NBA, right? It's not the lottery. So um, let's say you're the Eagles. Let's say you can make the playoffs at seven and nine. You'll still get a decent draft pick and you get a playoff game and your fans get the enjoyment of a playoff game. So there's no it's kind of no harm, no foul. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I mean, look, Antoine Winfield Jr., who was all over the field last night, got taken in the second round after Xavier McKinney, who we haven't even seen take a snap yet this year. So, I mean, right. you know, there's good players all over the place. You're right. Like, it's not like the NBA. Yeah, it's not like you need that one guy where it, it you know, you you're it's counterproductive to win games. I don't think that's the case here. Right, right. Uh, all right, let me do another quick ad read. Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air. Support independent community media by pledging whatever you can. All contributions are tax-deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Brian, uh, despite his best efforts, I believe that Mayor de Blasio has not been able to block the sale of the Mets to Steve Cohen. You're right, although... Uh, it doesn't look like it. it looks like Steve Cohen is the next owner of the Mets. Um, you know, I'm no fan of de Blasio. Uh, you know, I think he's an irredeemable asshole <laughs> <laughs> um, who weirdly shares probably most 99% of my politics, but somehow is the most is a totally loathsome character. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think this whole thing that was made up that he was standing in the way of this, um, and it was just an easy way to take shots at de Blasio, which everybody enjoys doing. Um, I don't think for a second de Blasio was ever going to going to stop this thing. Um, and, you know, Steve Cohen buys the Mets and it's great. He's really super rich. And I get why people are excited because the Mets have been run by cheap bastards for <laughs> my most of my adult life. And everybody's sick of it. I, I will say I'm having trouble, like getting totally psyched about it just because, like, I did find that whole process. Like, this guy's a total scumbag yeah. <laughs> and made his billions you know, was like the most aggressive insider trading firm on Wall Street. You know, like Preet Bharara was going after him forever. Um, and everybody's acting like, you know, it's some kind of injustice that anybody would try to get in his way or slow him down from buying the Mets, that he just gets to do whatever the hell he wants. Like, I don't have any problem with people getting in his way, roughing up his path to ascending to this position. You know, it's a... A thing that has a public interest, you know, who your sports teams are owned by. Like, obviously, it's a private business. I get all that. But look, it's, you know, they're institutions at this point, baseball teams. And this guy's a creep. You know, I'd like to be a billionaire. I'd like to insider trade if I could get away with it and uh, make a lot of money. But it's supposed to be against the law. And he paid a, like, billion-dollar fine. Anytime you're paying a billion-dollar fine and it doesn't matter to you at all, like, you're that's kind of an amazing place to be. Um, and what makes me sick about it is like, you know, look, it's election day. We're trying to get rid of Donald Trump. Like there's just been this specter of lawlessness over anything, everything. And here's another guy who just gets to do whatever he wants uh, with no consequences. 
And when even somebody, someone suggests that maybe the fact that you are like a borderline criminal, maybe you don't get to buy the Mets is like somehow totally unfair, you know, like there's people in jail for the stuff that he did. Like there's lots of them in prison. There's people in prison who did far less, who didn't steal a, you know, that money is art. That's stealing. That's theft. Right. You know, insider trading. That's just taking money that doesn't really belong to you. I would, everybody would love the unfair advantage to be able to do that. And, you know, I, I won't get totally into it on this show, but as you, you well know, like I intimately am aware that the law, when the law comes after you in America, it's brutal. It's yeah. really rough. And, you know, it's, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. And when you watch somebody who gets to just, you know, do things that are absolutely illegal. And maybe I don't know the facts, right? But what, everything I've read, it seems pretty clear to me that this guy was way over the line. Um, and, but he got away with it because when you have enough money, if you, if you don't run out of money, you can just defend yourself, defend yourself until they give up. Um, and the only way they do get you in these kind of cases is when you run out of money. And then when they, when you run out of money, they got you. And believe me, it's brutal and vicious. And so it's like been tough to me to be like, Oh yay, we got this new owner and he's super rich and like good for him, you know? Right. And I think also what you're, what you're actually saying here too, is not that not even saying that he should not be allowed to own the Mets. It's just that it's not, it's not unreasonable to say, Hey, should this dirtbag own the Mets? Right, right, right. Like, yeah. it's totally fine. And of course, like, yeah, right. I understand that ultimately there were no force. And I'm not saying de Blasio should have had the power to be like, no. Right. But right. I don't have any problem with with people raising it as an issue and suggesting to MLB, hey, are you sure that you want this guy as one of your owners? Like, he's a crook. Yeah, that's like true. other owners. Do you think that, you know, you just had a big cheating scandal um, is this the kind of person that should be owning a baseball team? And look, they're all, I'm, I'm not, you know, there's no sports owner who's <laughs> warm and fuzzy and, you know, very few anyway, who you're like, well, what a great person that guy is. Um, that's just, you know, it doesn't really matter the character of your sports owner. Um, but yeah, I don't have any problem with people, you know, putting a little interference, making it a little uncomfortable for Steve Cohen. Well, to, and uh, to your point about him you know being basically a crook it's not like a bad owner can't tank a league i mean donald trump did it with the usfl right like so you know and especially too baseball is not in the greatest position that they could be in i mean they didn't cloak themselves in glory trying to start up this season and i think that some of the issues with starting up the season it sort of made clear that there are quite a few baseball owners that don't actually like baseball all that much and they think of it as like a really uh, a dollars and cents investment and not like uh, I own a baseball team. And that's really what more what it should be. Right. It's a toy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I never understand these owners who want to, you want to own a baseball team and then like be cheap. Like what's could be more fun. You're super rich. Like why wouldn't you want to just spend and win and have fun? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I guess the flip now to having, like a, a you know a nefarious character own your sports team and i guess this is a different viewpoint on donald trump too but like i guess there would be nothing more fun than to have a super villain owning your sports team who's willing to do whatever yeah no and look i get i totally get the other the flip side of it where there's so many mets fans who just don't want this blocked because look it's been brutal the Wilpons. they they're awful and it's been terrible and here's this guy and he's going to turn us into the new death star. you know we're going to be competing with the yankees he's got deep pockets look i'm already looking at who's available this offseason and it sounds like the mets are going to be on everyone and it's great for the sport so for baseball like i get it right having the mets like a dominant mets run where they are right there with the Yankees is the best thing that could happen to baseball. So I totally understand where Rob Manfred and company is not going to get in this guy's way. And I get it. So, you know, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I'm just saying it's like hard to, I'm, I'm like, part of me is just like, screw this guy. Um, it's just such an emblem of everything wrong with, with America. On the other hand, I totally get it. It's like baseball, who cares what he did? He's got the money. <laughs> Let's open the spigots. Because it'll be, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Once I get over it, it's going to be fun. It absolutely is. A frisky Mets team is really fun. Like, and, and I think the Mets are actually a pretty unique franchise in that 
Well, maybe not not if you're a Mets fan. But if you're not a Mets fan, the Mets are really entertaining when they're terrible and they're really entertaining when they're <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think it's them be consistently good where baseball can count on them. I really think it'll be huge for the sport. Um, I think the Yankees and the Mets, without becoming a real thing year in and year out, like a true arms race would be great for the sport. Yep. Um, so, you know, again, I totally get everybody just like, look, this has to happen. It's gone on it went ridiculous, went way too long. And I would have said for years that baseball should have put more pressure on the Wilpons to sell the freaking team. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, so look, ultimately it's exciting and I think it's going to be really fun. Um, and so I totally get everybody just being like, oh, you know, what did he do? I don't know. I don't understand how insider training works because it's really confusing and I don't care. Um, good for him. And so I get it. And so like, you know, that's that's fine. Who's on your summer wish list? Who are you hoping they go after? Everyone. <laughs> and everybody. Get everybody. Like if we're going to have a crook, like, yeah, you better come in and deliver. I want Real Muto. I want Springer. I want, you know, I want everybody like. I want a big offseason. Like the Mets, there is no excuse. The Mets should show up next year, you know, looking fantastic. Like they should be just, that team should enter with everything it needs. Like, I don't, there's no excuse. This year, if you just got the team to much fanfare, like there should be a new reliever. There should be a starter or two. There should be two position players. Like they should be sparkling. Are you hoping that they sign Trevor Bauer and his Twitter feed? I don't know. I actually would probably stay away from Trevor <laughs> <laughs> I bet he'd fit right in in New York. <laughs> no, you're right. He would. Yeah, he would. New York would love it. I don't know. He's, you know, whether that would work in New York is uh, questionable. I just don't like him because he's so up and down. Some years he's great. Some years he's not. Um, and, you know, especially in New York, he comes in with a big contract with a big mouth and he's bad next year. That's like the last thing the Mets need. Yeah. Um, or I don't know. Maybe that's just what the Mets need. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's what they're destined for. Um, you know, there's some other guys that I would I would target instead of him. And um, But, you know, if, if they go that route, great. Like, they definitely should throw some money at people. Yeah. Yeah. They should be – their uh, off-season approach should be a helicopter drop of cash. Should be how the men's approach the season. <laughs> <laughs> well, they could do it over the stadium. No one's in there. Yeah, right. No one yeah, will be. True. There should be juice when the Mets show up next year. That's that's my my fervent wish. Yeah. Well, I I, I don't doubt it's going to happen. Uh, especially too, like when you have a supervillain running your team, he's probably not not afraid to uh, drop it on the table in front of everybody. Right. No, I mean, I think you know he knows he's got deep pockets. Yeah. You see his face? I mean, he's just such, he looks like who he is. Yes. You know? Oh, yes. <laughs> this yeah. whole attitude. I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? I mean, just like they had, you know, they're like, basically his returns were just people like couldn't believe them for years. And everybody like was like, oh, this guy's like the most aggressive <laughs> insider trading. And, and, and they couldn't like prove that he knew about it. So he was, you know, had to pay a fine for not properly supervising his own traders. <laughs> just, just an absurd. Um, okay <laughs> he's like i don't know i don't know what these guys are doing you know uh, i don't know what happened i certainly was not asking anybody to do anything untoward it's like okay i'm sure right. that's how it went down and i really had no interest in understanding why we were having so much success I right, right i just nothing was rolling you know I, I didn't why would i question it right oh god hmm. brian do you have the radio free brooklyn mobile app on your phone I do, and it's wonderful. Yeah, so do I. If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android available uh, in the App Store for iPhone and the Google Play Store for Android. It is actually a really good app. You don't have to do you have to navigate anything. I open it, and there we are. It is good, and you can get the archives. It's great. Yeah. Um, as you know, I'm a product manager. I work on mobile apps. So oh, that's right. Is, you know, I am uh, an authority on these matters. Um, (laughs) so i can speak you know very intelligently about the quality of the uh i'm sure they're hitting many of their kpis (laughs) (laughs) brian it is about 5 30 on tuesday afternoon november 3rd it is election day right you as i can see are wearing an i voted sticker Uh, did. did you vote today I voted this morning. Oh, wow. 
Okay. How long did you have to wait? Not very long at all, though. I now I totally regret. Uh, you know, I got freaked out by all the mail-in stuff, so I just decided I was going to vote on election day, and now I kind of regret it because they didn't have the machines anymore. That was just a provisional ballot that you had to fill in when you got there. And I've, I'm now reading that um, they're not going to start counting those until November 10th. Oh my anyway, God. so, you know, my vote never matters as a Jersey voter, as, you know, the, the way our wonderful, satisfying system works. Um, those of us <laughs> in states that are not swing states, we really could just not bother. Um, yeah. The legal marijuana is on the ballot in New Jersey. So obviously I was very excited about that. Oh. Um, raced to the polls. Um, I mean, <laughs> this is like the best election I've ever voted in. Like I got to vote. My, my previous one was Obama. That was exciting. This year I got to vote for legal marijuana and against Donald Trump. Like that's a pretty special ballot to turn in. Bring in something terrific. Get something else bad out of there. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bring one poison in and get one poison out. <laughs> <laughs> I went the mail-in route and uh, did not vote for anything exciting. Um, no, no. I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, like not nothing. Like really, just I voted for Biden, and uh, I pretty much voted for every Democrat who I don't think was nearly was like not in trouble, right? In my, in my district, so I mean, you know, right? It was like it's so important to vote. Well. I don't right. know. Yeah, for if you're in some states where the election, where the outcome is assured, then it isn't that important to vote. Right, right. I mean, yeah. the only thing that made it feel important to me to vote was that I just, I wanted to be on record officially saying, yeah. enough of Donald, like no more Donald right, Trump. Right, right. When the history is written, I want my name to be down as a no. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> a negative on Donald Trump. Right. Of course, yeah. we probably willingly put ourselves on a list that will have us uh, wrangled up and right. sent somewhere. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. so with it being uh, Tuesday, 5.30, Election Day, we will air on Radio Free Brooklyn at 6 a.m., which, again, you can listen to on the mobile app. And then we will be available for download uh, on Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see our handsome faces on YouTube now also um, on Saturday mornings. But it is still very early in the week. Most people will not hear or see us until late in the week. What on earth is going to happen between now and when people hear this? I don't know. It's so funny. I mean, this is like all, it's always awkward that we record this so early in the week and then people don't hear it either Thursday or then like Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Um, but this time it's absurd. It's like, you know, we should say to our listeners, what happened? Right. Tell <laughs> us. This on Thursday morning. Who is it? Who won? Where? <laughs> You're listening. What happened? Who is... Is it like, do you think we know who won by Thursday at 6 a.m.? So I've been telling you this, and I feel like I have been, I've been telling this to anyone who will listen to me. And I don't yeah. feel that anyone is responding to me with the level of urgency that I require. So this is the first time I've actually, because we're on Zoom and I can see you. This is the first time yeah. I can see you. I want I want you to look at me, Brian. <laughs> I want you to look me in the face because I'm going to tell you what's about to happen and I need to, you to be alarmed. Right. Here's, I, first of all, I don't see a scenario in which Donald Trump concedes losing. I don't see him ever admitting that he lost. So, I think that that what's going to happen is I'm obviously all these guys they have their internal polling and the GOP and the Democrats and everybody has, you know, their internal polls. I think if it's starting to look really bad for him, like quickly, like they quickly know like uh-oh, it is a blue wave hitting. Right, right. Then it'll be early in the night. We're ta I'm talking like 8:30, not 8:45, 9 o'clock. He's just going to come out and declare victory. And just like he does with everything else dare anyone to contradict him and right. then get in the mix with him in that way. And he like, he said something. So first of all, there was an Axios piece. I think I read uh, on Sunday or something about how he's already floating the idea that if it's close, he's going to declare victory. Right. And that's a Trump trend where float an idea out there to advisors, get it into the media and see how everybody responds. And then the response cycle is, what a lunatic. Can he do that? No, he can't, et cetera, et cetera. 
but it's already out there in the public consciousness. So now we've had like a few days to get used to the idea that he might do this. And then he comes and does it in a more extreme fashion than you expected him to. But you're already kind of were expecting it. So the, the reaction's not that bad. But I'm telling you, he is going to do it. And he, he also said something about uh, as soon as the election is over. And I think by that he means like 7, 8 o'clock Eastern. We're getting our lawyers in there right away. So he already knows he's doing, like he's telegraphed it. He's given away a strategy because he's like no discipline to keep those things like internal thoughts. So if it's closer, he might wait till later in the night to declare victory. If it's if it's a blowout, he's going to declare it early in the night. But he is declaring victory tonight. No matter what. No matter what. <laughs> you think I, that he won't if if it's. I, I don't. I don't think you're. I don't know that I disagree. <laughs> I I think. There's no doubt about it. If it's coming down to Pennsylvania and it's at all close, that's his strategy is to throw up a bunch of legal challenges, declare victory, muck it up, take it all the way to Supreme Court and win there. Um, and I'll say this. I mean, I think I'm prepared for anything. I think literally anything is on the table. Um, like, I wouldn't be surprised if American cities are on fire tomorrow morning or, you know, what I mean, like just chaos is, is ruling the day. Have you seen I'm pictures of Manhattan? For- yeah, all the boarded up stuff. I think it's boarded up, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, which drives me crazy because then it's like everybody's like, see, we've had to do this because of these protesters. And it's like, how do you not put it together that this guy has created this atmosphere of chaos that we are all living in and responding to? And, you know, to, po- to point it at the left and say, look at these crazy loons. It's like, <laughs> no, there's a maniac running the country and right. it has created crazed environment um my own if i had to predict i think it's going to be a shockingly like surprisingly normal evening where biden wins comfortably and and it's actually called tonight and we know um and trump is forced to like i don't know what he'll do i mean i i totally get your point like is there i've read some interviews where people are kind of asking like election officials what happens if Trump does what you're describing? And and in all the cases, they're kind of like, well, he can't he can't just do that. And then the person's like, right, but like, what if he does? And they're like, well, he can't really do that. And they're like, right, but what if he does? You know, and they never like have a good answer for like, what do you do then? They're like, well, no, I mean, there's lots of checks in the state. You know, it's like, right, but that might none of that might matter. <laughs> none of it has mattered for four years. How right, many things right. has he done that you could describe? Well, he can't do that. He does yeah. it. Yeah, right. He could do – and it's also – here's the thing. He can do anything that congressional Republicans allow him to do. Well, let him do, yeah. And they have allowed him to do – he is hosting 250 people at the White House tonight. Right, Indoors. Right. Like, you can't do that either, but he's right. doing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm with you. I'm prepared for absolutely anything, and that wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, I, I don't know, like, what he's um, – what he's prepared to do anything um yeah but you see do you think do you think that would work like do you think there's a so you think there's a possibility too that he does this and he stays the president and then there's like a news story maybe in the times in a couple weeks it's like you know it's funny he actually lost but everybody's like well no you know yes like yeah yes i mean look at look at what he did with with uh with covid right I want everybody in churches by Easter. And people are like, that's insane. No way. You're crazy. Yeah. And like, no, it didn't work out for Easter. But we basically opened up without addressing COVID just because he willed it. Right. And, and no one was responsible enough to stop him. And I really think that that's what could happen tonight. And kind of on that rosy note, we do have to uh, wrap things up for the radio show. Uh, maybe we could do a little bit more election talk in bonus time. Uh, but for our, for our Radio Free Brooklyn listeners, thank you, as always, for tuning in, and uh, go Giants. All right, Brian, we're in bonus time. <laughs> I like bonus time. You know, I guess the only counter I'll say to you is the, uh, it didn't work with the vaccine. Um, yeah. He wanted that vaccine by Election Day, and it just wasn't possible, and nobody caved, and brushed out a vaccine and i hate the people who like you know 
when you acknowledge that you were worried that he was going to do that, they'd be like, he can't do that. And you're like, okay, but it's still bad that he's saying he's going to and politicizing the whole thing. Right. And then they're criticizing people who are like, I'm not going to take a vaccine if just Trump tells me to. I'm going to wait, you know, if Dr. Fauci does whatever, like, to me, that's totally reasonable. If, if, um, but I understand where they're coming from. Like, look, he can't rush out the vaccine. And it turned out he, they were right. He couldn't. But like, don't blame me for being worried about it when he said it. Right. Um, it's his fault. for He shouldn't do that. <laughs> like, right. It's not my fault for taking him at his word and being concerned that that might happen. Right. But my, I guess my concern, too, is that at least the vaccine is a physical thing. Like a phys- if a physical thing doesn't exist, he can't will it to exist. And right. I, I get what you're saying. He could, right. Yeah, he could. Yeah. Yeah. Like there could. are vaccines that you could be racing out right now. That's true. Um, the other problem, the thing that he didn't, he just doesn't understand the science at all. Like <laughs> once you have the vaccine, it's not like the end of outbreak where you just, they, they, we have the antidote. Everybody gets it. Like it takes <laughs> the production, the, the distribution of a vaccine is actually a very complicated process that takes a long time to ramp up production. And, <laughs> The supply chain and all of that is not like you don't just drop it from the sky and everybody's like, we have it now. You just <laughs> all you have to do. Like, no, like um, so he was thwarted. Um, yeah. But I mean, I know what you're saying. Like, I'm, I'm I have no idea what's going to I can't believe that people are, are going to listen to this, that we're actually talking about it before <laughs> it happens. Right. It's going to be so weird. Um, yeah. We're going to know. We Let's look back and see what we thought. Um, right. Or maybe I, no one ever hears this because the internet ceases to exist right. tomorrow. It's like who knows, right. you know? <laughs> right. right? Maybe we're in the middle, like you and I are on the front lines of the shooting war that has erupted, right. and we're in a bunker in uh, Brooklyn together. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, hold your fire, cover me. <laughs> I, I don't think you want to be in that bunker with me, Brian. <laughs> right, and it's trench warfare. In, in Bay Ridge, like who knows? Um, uh, or it's totally conventional. And I mean, I'll tell you what I do know: if he wins this thing, I, I I don't know what I will do. Like I don't, I'm not even emotionally prepared for. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. No, I. Will I... Just, I will just go lie down in the middle of the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And no one will be able to move me. People will be honking. I'll just be like, no, I'm not going anywhere. Right. Yeah, I know. Uh. <laughs> well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's hope that that's not what's happening by the time people are listening to this. That I'm not <laughs> face down on, on Washington Street in Hoboken. <laughs> having completely given up. Yeah. On, on life well good luck brian good luck to you thank you thank you and let's uh we'll we'll be texting and uh everybody stay safe out there um vote go vote um you've already voted obviously <laughs> <laughs> i hope you voted for the, i'm so aren't you so sick of vote vote without without people saying who they're voting for no yes. don't vote if you're voting for trump yeah stay home vote ballot up your ass and <laughs> don't like put it in the garbage disposal don't right. vote for him vote for one person only otherwise forget it right so <laughs> it's such a like non-controversial way for people to like evade the blowback they'll get from saying vote for a specific person but like we all know who you're talking about right absolutely yeah seriously just say it also, just go come out against Trump. It shouldn't be controversial. It just should not be controversial. It shouldn't be controversial, right? Jesus, it's unbelievable. When you think of how stable his popularity has been. Yeah. You're talking literally 250,000 dead human beings. Um, un, just unspeakable economic damage. And no erosion <laughs> no change in his support nobody who was who liked him has been convinced seemingly you know i don't think you know i mean it's like i get having a bedrock of support i even get how if you love him so much you could convince yourself this whole thing's not his fault it's a complicated problem who could predict a virus but like 
nobody has who loved him has been this reconsidered. No one, you know, he hasn't. Am I crazy or has he not done like the best job on the coronavirus? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that disinfectant thing where he was that seemed irresponsible. And nobody, there's no one, right? Yeah, I just sort of feel like it could have gone better. <laughs> right? Nobody's thinking to themselves, you know, if we're being fair, he hasn't handled this as well as he could. You know? <laughs> like, right. Christ. Right. Maybe it wasn't super productive to, like, own the libs instead of, like, I don't know, amassing PPE or something like that. Right. Trying to save a few thousand lives. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing we're actually here. With it still in doubt. Yep. Yeah. It's unthinkable. All right. Until next week, Brian. Until next week. God bless you. God bless (laughs) the United States of America. And may God have mercy on us all. (laughs) All right. Bye.